live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley, broadcasting today from our offices at the Salvation Army National Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. With me today is our editorial director of The War Cry, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Greetings, Colonel. Great to be with you. Good to be with you as well, even though you are remote and I'm sitting here in my office, all by my lonesome. I miss you guys. And over there to my left or the right or behind me is our wonderful producer, Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello there. Are you remaining positive? I am so stoked. Well, everybody, we're really glad that you've uh, joined us again today. Again, uh, we're grateful for our listeners. We're grateful for uh, our audience. It's growing, and we're grateful for the opportunities that God has given us through our program and publications department here at National Headquarters to resource the Salvation Army in the United States and even broad throughout uh, the world in uh, these days, these very, very unique days. So we hope that this these few moments will be uh, something that will lift your spirit, give you a little inspiration, and hopefully you can have a, a couple of chuckles or, or whatnot as you take home or some, some important thoughts today, because today we have a very, very special guest with us, Mr. Bob Hostetler, who is a prolific author, uh, over 50 books, and used to be a long time ago on our staff here. Uh, the War Cry staff, um, toured the country, uh, continues to pump out all kinds of great things. And we have him featured uh, with a great article in the um, August issue of the War Cry called How to Hear from God. Bob, welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. It's just an honor. And so we're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be a part of this, and uh, just it's it's a little bit of a blast from the past since I once worked with Jeff McDonald, but I promise not to tell any stories. Get in so, line. Get in yeah, line for that. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's a joy. Thank you for uh, letting me participate like this. Well, we hope uh, you and your family are staying uh, safe in these kind of uh, interesting days uh, that we're at uh, here. Uh, you know, the Salvation Army, we're kind of still rolling on, rolling the old chariot along and finding different ways and innovative ways to kind of make uh, our materials available to everybody. And one of the ways that we've been doing that pretty successfully lately is through podcasting. Uh, Bob, you have written a lot. You've written specifically uh, some items for the Salvation Army. What's one of uh, perhaps one of your most favorite um things that you've written either about or for the Salvation Army in your um, long litany of uh, literature achievements? Well, that's a long list. Uh, but uh, what comes immediately to mind um, uh, some years ago, my goodness, I don't even know if it was five or, or 10 years ago, but uh, I had the honor of uh, collaborating with National Headquarters, National Publications on a an update and re-release of Samuel Logan Bringle's, Commissioner Bringle's 
books, nine books that we did as uh, six in six volumes and just kind of updated some of the language and and uh, just made it a little bit more uh, 21st century friendly, that sort of thing. But that was a labor of love. I've long been an acolyte of, of Brengel and uh, his influence on my life is immeasurable. So that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. It's uh, the Holy Living series, I think it's called, um, of six books that uh, published jointly by the Salvation Army uh, National Headquarters and Wesleyan Publishing House. It was a great series. In fact, I'm just looking and, and seeing it on my shelf. And I think when those books were published, I was on the the staff of the Bringle Institute in Chicago, and it was just a great resource. Thanks for doing that. Also, your devotional book. Uh, is very successful. The kind of came out of that where there was little snippets of uh, Bringle devotions. And I know I use that from time to time in my own uh, walk. So thanks for, for your, your uh, work on that. It was a great collaborative sort of uh, uh, process. In uh, our August issue, uh, you have this really pro provocative statement in this great, um, great article called How to Hear from God, you say God has not spun creation into motion and then walked away. In, in this real time of, of great uncertainty and even fear, due to all these current events that just seem to be shifting every nanosecond, uh, what, what do you see as God's will in the context for, for us as humanity going on in these days? Oh, I've always considered that a, a fairly easy question to answer since the uh, since the Bible in First Thessalonians 4 actually says uh, uh, specifically what God's will for all of us is. It's, you know, we tend to fixate and focus on um, specific wills. Do I take this job or, you know, do I marry this person? But really, God's will as uh, specified in his word is our sanctification. And, you know, there uh, obviously there are a lot of things that go into that. I think our sanctification, especially in these uncertain times, as you put it, uh, consists as it always has uh, of love. You know, Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, he, he came out with uh Two, you know, the the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, and the second commandment, like to it, is love your neighbor as yourself. And I think focusing on those two things, loving God, loving others, loving all others, is what contributes to our sanctification in these times as in any time. Quick question, Bob. Just just so we're clear, could you give us a d definition or an idea of what sanctification means? Well, I think it's, a, you know, the, we could get into the theological uh, bushes here, but uh, I think the easiest way to understand our sanctification is our, our unique set-apartness for God. You know, that sanctification, holiness, Set apartness means that we are we belong to him and are under his influence. And I think the thing that most brings us under his influence uh, after the new birth is 
that life of love. When we live in love for God and for all, then I think we are being sanctified, being developed in our spirits in the way that God wants. Interesting. I mean, it, so in your article, it's in the August issue of the work, right? Uh, you give very, um, you know, clear steps for how to hear from God. And what struck me about your writing there was that you definitely make it clear that it's a two-way street and that using uh, young Samuel as an example, could you just uh, explain that a little bit further for us? Yeah, sure. You know, it is a two-way street because um, very often I think, uh, I'll put it in, in terms of me, very often I want to hear from God. I want direction from him on a certain subject or in a certain uh, opportunity. And I haven't really been putting myself in his path, as I as I tend to put it. That is, you know, there. I think hearing from God, um, discerning his will is the fruit of a relationship. And I think very often I make the mistake of expecting direction, expecting uh, guidance and, and God to speak to me when I haven't been necessarily cultivating the presence of God and getting quiet before him and being ready to listen to him, all of which is is interestingly depicted in, in the biblical story of 1 Samuel, you know, from uh, of Samuel, from 1 Samuel. Um, and so I think it is that two-way street is the people who most, or the, let me put it this way, the times when I am hearing from God and discerning his will accurately and sometimes quickly are those times when I've put myself in his path um, and I've gotten quiet. I've listened for him. I've been in his presence, you know, and those are the kind, that's how the two-way street um, or two-way relationship operates, I think. You know, Bob, what I really like about your article uh, is is how it flows. You've got, you know, seven very clear points here. Um, and on a, when we, we did a podcast where we were explaining content um, for the August issue in, in the Warcry, uh, you know, I, I strongly recommend that our readers and listeners look at this article because you're, you're just very, it's just very, very clear. And it's a great Bible study on, on Samuel's life. But you said something in the, uh, which I really resonate because sometimes in the Salvation Army, we have a hard time stopping and really learning to listen to God. But you have this great line in your sixth point that talks about getting in, get into a listening attitude. You say, God is a gentleman. He doesn't like to interrupt. So he seldom speaks unless we are listening. That's just that's just like boom. That 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 goes right to the heart of the problem, doesn't it? A lot of times you just, you just don't stop. That's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, but it's true. I think it's absolutely true that God, God, uh, as a gentleman, takes his cues from us, as any good conversationalist does. You know, uh, nobody likes uh, someone who dominates the conversation or interrupts. God doesn't operate that way. He 
he takes his cues from us. What a what a gracious um, thing for him, the the Almighty, the Master of all, to do to take his cues from us in conversation. And yet, that's I think that's what he does. He doesn't interrupt. He seldom speaks unless we're listening. And so our role, if we really want to hear from him, is to get quiet, to get into a listening posture, and then he may well speak. He, he may well speak more than we want to hear sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm always skeptical of the people that say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've audibly heard from God. And I'm, I was mentioning to Jeff earlier, I, say, I think if I audibly, audibly heard from God, I would be just a pile of goo right now because... You know, I mean, we're talking about the Almighty here. So I, I, I really like uh, how you've kind of laid this out of, you know, the need to, to just put yourself in a place. And, and part of that doesn't, it, I, obviously it means maybe physically getting in, in a space. But can you, can you kind of speak to the attitude of the heart, how you get yourself to that place where you can really hear, hear the heartbeat of God? Yeah, it's and you know this this I think is is uh, part of the challenge for salvationists in particular because you know uh, one of the wonderful things historically and and uh, temperamentally about the Salvation Army is it's a very activist tradition. You know, it's doing the most good. It's it's so, but that can mitigate against this listening posture. I think. And so uh, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, uh, 25 years ago, maybe, I know I don't seem old enough to be citing <laughs> something 25 years ago, but. Uh, because you're only 19. Like so, you know. But, exactly. But, that's you know, in my. We're publications. We don't, we don't have anything to do with numbers. So. That's right, right. Confusing. In my head, I'm 19, <laughs> but uh, but a, something like 24, 25 years ago, I started uh, doing an annual, sometimes more than annual, uh, prayer retreat at a silent monastery, and that's where I first discovered the ministry of silence in a follower of Jesus's life. Uh, and because when we are, and you know, and in the article, I, I think I say early on, you know, to get quiet and, uh, maybe I should have said get silent because it's in the silence when we're not, uh, taking in stimuli from the television or the radio or, or, uh, you know, our, our iPhones or people around us or that sort of thing. But that the conversation, oh, okay, quick, quick story. The first time I went to this silent monastery in Kentucky, um, I determined I was going to pray each, uh, each time the monks went to prayer, seven times a day, I would go to prayer. And so I arrived at the monastery at about uh, lunchtime, which is important for me because I like to eat. And, but I, I went to the first hour of prayer, the first time of prayer. It's They call them hours, but they're only 15 minutes or a half hour usually. Uh, and then went down to the lunch line, went through the lunch line and ate, and then went to the next seven hours to the next day at just before lunch. I went to that time of prayer and then went down. And this is after now 24 hours in silence. There's no one talking to me and me talking to no one. And I went down to go through the lunch line and I got my food and I set my tray on the table and I folded my hands over my tray 
to pray, to say grace. And it was startling because I realized I was already praying. In fact, I'd been praying all morning. I'd been in a conversation with God internally in the silence. And so there was two-way communication happening, God talking to me, me talking to God. I didn't need to enter into prayer. And I think very often that's what, you know, the Salvation Army isn't a contemplative tradition. It's an activist tradition. So it can be even more of a challenge, I think, for many, not all Salvationists to enter into the ministry of silence. But that is where so much of God's speaking and guidance comes from. It's not just taking five minutes and being quiet. It's entering into a posture, an attitude, and sometimes that takes a while to shut down all the machinery of our minds and hearts and spirits to enter into the silence. But it's there, as it was for Elijah, it's there that God often speaks in a still small voice. Well, there are are three legs to spiritual formation, uh, the word, prayer, and reflection. I think we as salvationists do an awfully good job with the, the first two, but you're right. Um, we we don't know how to stop. And uh, actually, the the latest book that we've released uh, from Crest Books was um, I took my doctoral dissertation and put it in a narrative form. We call it rest for the rest of it. And that's my whole art. Not it's kind of like my abstract, I guess. With it is, you know, it's important for us to create space in our lives so uh, so we can hear from God and we can be energized. You know, we, 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 um, we rest to work. And so I thank you because you've, you just have kind of drilled in, you've confirmed some of the things that God is, is currently speaking, uh, I think to our organization. So thanks for affirming that. Yeah, that's uh, you'll, you'll be interested in Colonel Foley's book, Bob rest for the rest of us on that very topic. Sounds um, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So granted, you know, individuals can learn how to access the divine, but really for many of us, that means when we're silent, we're, we're hearing our own drumbeat. We're hearing our own machinations. Um, you know, what practical things do you do? To, to make that a reality in your life that people might benefit from knowing. Yeah, it you know, I think it comes with practice uh, because <laughs> for, for, for me as a young man, you know, I was so, so going 100 miles an hour and especially as a, as a young Corps officer, just going at breakneck speed all the time. And so slowing down is a part of it. Uh, finding those moments of silence. But I think also, at least as God works in me, one thing I've discovered that he's, again, he's a gentleman, he's very gracious, and he often works through my machinations, as you say, through my my own personality and through my tendencies and through my passions, the things I care about. And so very often I think... Uh, at least speaking only for myself, I'm too quick. 
I have been historically too quick to dismiss my wants, my desires, my hopes and dreams and passions as, well, that's me talking, you know, and yeah, it is. But I think that those are the, those are the avenues I think that very often God uses to tweak me, to guide me. Now, you know, clearly when, when I think I hear something from him that runs counter to my desires, to my passions. Well, then I sit up uh, because that's not my natural tendency. I, wow, I wouldn't necessarily go there all on my own. But 90% of the time, I think it's fair to, uh, to believe that God works through our even our moods, even our, you know, our emotional temperatures to speak to us. But that only comes with practice. And I think, you know, uh, in my youth, there was a mistrust of those things that has not entirely dissipated. But uh, as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned to recognize God speaking and guiding even through my desires. It, it, and those are the times when, as I said a little briefly, I think in the article, um, you know, I, I want to seek counsel and make sure that it's not just I want it this way. You know, I want to have my own way instead of God's will. But um, so seeking counsel is important, especially when I'm uh, when I sense him guiding along lines that that track with my preferences or my desires but very often uh i find that that's how he he made me this way you know he he gave me these desires and you know as the psalmist said he he gives me the desires of my heart i think first he through the new birth and through sanctification he transformed the desires of my heart but when those desires are transformed and i want more and more of him then he works through those desires those sanctified desires to to guide me and to show me what he wants we're we're um, turning a corner here pretty soon in january we'll celebrate 140 years of the war cry uh, Jeff, you've been here 120 of those years, right? I'm just trying to. I think he's been there all of them. Yeah, it was before electricity. <laughs> before electricity, and you, <laughs> you were obviously a, a, a an integral part of that for a while uh, in your journey uh, with the Lord and in, in Salvation Army. He's very, very grateful for that and your continued support as we go along. And we're trying to do all we can to encourage, like. Uh, I, I, uh, new writers, you know, and, and we're exploring all different kinds of way to, 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 uh, contribute. Uh, you were probably like me, you were encouraged by somebody to just trying to get going at it. But what, what motivates you in this day and age right now to write as a, as a writer? You know, I, I don't think I, I can not write. I think it's, um, I, I don't need much motivation. I need uh, focus. I need direction. So I was raised in a family of of readers and writers, and uh, and so it's it's more of it's kind of woven into the into my personality into the way I operate. That that's just I sometimes I have to sit down at the typewriter or the 
keyboard to know what I think. You know, I have to start. I have to start the fingers moving because sometimes I think through my fingertips, and and so that's um, so the motivation for me obviously. Uh, okay, a quick story here. Uh, that's fine. Again, we got time for quick stories. It's great. To, uh, decades ago, uh, a friend of mine uh, gifted me a couple of days of consultation. He was a professional consultant and and had worked with some you know headliners among Christian ministry folks, and uh, and so he wanted to help me kind of craft a Bob Hostetler ministry kind of a thing, and and we butted heads for two days, and and finally I realized. Uh, that one of the reasons we were butting heads was he he was trying to get, get me down to a focus of one message you know of a key message for me and i finally said to him in frustration but it really crystallized some things for me i said look i love god i love god's word and i love words and anything that'll combine those passions those predilections i'm I'm up for. And so, you know, as a writer, those 50 some books, those they're, they're kind of all over the map. I've done, you know, youth, I've done adults, I've done devotions, I've done um, fiction and nonfiction and Christian living and reference works and so on and so forth. And so I'm I'm a bit of a generalist, which can be a challenge for a Christian writer these days. But that's because my passions are those three things. I love God. I love God's word. And I love especially the written word. And so um, so that's where I find my motivation is in those things. It's it's partly kind of how I operate, but it's it's not hard for me to find motivation to write it's harder to find focus well as a as a, a shakespearean actor i've been in a couple of shakespeare plays and uh, community theater in san francisco recently with in Hamlet. Well, i'm jealous yeah i'm jealous i, I want to i want to check out your book the bard and the bible uh that I, I that just sounds fascinating to me thanks for taking uh the bard's words and and uh you know uh, there's a lot of truth in there so uh well, yeah, that's uh, part of the background of that book. That's another labor of, well, they're all labors of love. But um, with that one, you know, years ago as a Shakespeare nut and as a Bible nut, I realized that these two great towering works of English literature, the the works of Shakespeare and the King James Version of the Bible, these were both created in the same period in the same country, in the same city, by men who knew each other, right? And so uh, I remember sitting in my 20s, I guess it was, uh, in, in a Shakespeare college class on intro to Shakespeare or something like that. And I was looking around at at the other students in the class who were really struggling with the Shakespeare's language, you know, the Elizabethan these and thous and that sort of thing. And I was puzzled by how, how, why aren't they, I'm not smarter than them. Why aren't they catching this? And then it dawned on me that I was raised on the King James version, <laughs> right? And so I got it. It wasn't a challenge for me. And that's when it, the light began to dawn. So, so for me to, to take that, it's a one-year devotional, the Bard and the Bible, a Shakespeare devotional, and each day 
take a quote from Shakespeare and a verse from the King James Version of the Bible. Sometimes they, because Shakespeare knew his Bible better than we do, I promise you. Um, and, but sometimes they, um, one confirms the other, sometimes they contrast, but it's amazing the parallels. Like, for example, just one, since you mentioned Hamlet, you know, uh, when Hamlet says, what a piece of work is a man, how noble in faculties, right? And so on and so forth. I, I can't recite the whole speech. I hear echoes of the psalmist who said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? that thou regardest him. He, and each one mentions he's a little lower than the angels, you know? And so, like I said, Shakespeare knew his Bible. That, that just, uh, there's such, so many depths to be plumbed in the relationships between the poetry, the beauty of Shakespeare and the beauty and poetry of the King James Version are just a joy to my heart. Yeah, wow. I get, reading Shakespeare, I get the feeling that that man said everything, you know, sometimes <laughs> in his writing. But um, I know you, Bob, to be a very disciplined person. So on a practical level, for those who are just, you know, considering writing or contributing something to the work, right, for instance, are there practical things you could advise, give some advice on? For, for someone... Uh... Just starting to write. Yeah, aspiring to write. Uh, yeah. You know, number one, I would say read, read everything, read a lot, read Colonel Foley's book, read my books, all of them, right? Uh, but because uh, that's there, <laughs> yeah, read Shakespeare, read the Bible. It's all good stuff. But um, uh, really, very often people, you know, when they learn that I'm a writer uh, and I'm also a literary agent, when they learn one or both of those things, they'll say, oh, I want to write. Uh, and I'll say, have you been to a writer's conference? Uh, because it's amazing to me how uh, the the uh, very, I present at maybe eight or ten writers conferences a year, and of course during this this year of shutdowns, they many have gone online, and uh, and I'm. I'm the executive editor also of uh, ChristianWritersInstitute.com, which we call the online Christian Writers in, um, uh, Conference. But a writer's conference for somebody, whether they're brand new to this, this idea of writing or whether they've written a bunch of stuff or even have a manuscript uh, article or book in manuscript, the, uh, the amount of knowledge that it takes. It's not hard, but it's voluminous to write for publication. And, and so uh, just a, f a couple days at a, at a writer's conference will expand a writer's horizons in ways that I don't, I don't know any other way to get that much downloaded into your brain that quickly. And so uh, and and then the third thing I would say, you know, uh, whether whether you do a writers conference or not, just start showing it to people, sharing it with people. Write for your your core newsletter. Uh, send your your stuff into the War Christ. Uh, try to submit and to take whatever encouragement, whatever feedback, whatever critique comes your way. Um, don't own the words, own the mission. Uh, 
is is something that I often say to people, you know, you want to get a message across. And if somebody says it's not coming across, well, that could be the voice of God to go back to what we were talking about earlier. So so th- those would be my main pieces of advice to someone who wants to write for publication. So um, I have to ask you, Bob, as a man of letters, um, and there's so much we could talk about in this regard, how would you describe the current landscape of Christian publishing and how would you like to see it improve? Well, that's a loaded question, isn't it? That's, it is. And now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prognosticator. My boss as an agent, Steve Lobby, is probably the most informed of anyone I know in terms of seeing the landscape, you know, and seeing what's coming down the pike. But um, I'll give it my best shot to answer your question. You know, even with or without the COVID-19 pandemic and the accompanying shutdowns and the things that have been canceled or postponed uh, as a result. Regardless, um, Christian publishing is, I'm convinced, in a uh, period of real transition in which uh, book publishers in particular are, uh, are figuring out the new landscape you know they're they're tentative they're being careful they've got they've got a mission to accomplish and they've also got a family you know employees staff members as well as their readers and customers to preserve to take care of to cultivate and so they're they're being very cautious very careful um and and they should be but you know with the advent of ebooks uh which the ebook um number of sales that phenomenon kind of peaked two or three years ago uh, and I think it's reached a level now where about 16% of book sales are at least in North America are ebooks they it, it actually went uh, close to 20% in 2017 I think but now it's it's about 16 17% and that seems to be pretty stable but that was a big adjustment because by and large Christian publishers aren't sure how to make ebooks profitable they're not they haven't <laughs> they haven't opened that safe yet um, and that's taken now the audiobook phenomenon is uh, is ballooning ballooning mushrooming uh pick your metaphor uh but even with all that you know a lot of christian bookstores and chains of christian bookstores have closed have gone bankrupt that sort of thing and so the brick and mortar model uh is is changing and transitioning so all that to say that i think Probably for the next five years, Christian book publishing is in a place where they're still figuring things out. There, many uh, the publishers I work with continue to be healthy and continue to acquire books. Uh, in fact, as an agent, my uh, I had two two clients sign uh, contracts this week, and uh, my twenty twenty. And the clients that have signed books this year is with those two contracts now is equal to what my clients did all of last year. So it's not like they're sitting back, sitting on their hands, these publishers, but they are being very careful. So I think 
and I think it's a good thing. It's going to turn out to be a good thing because uh, in commercial, traditional Christian publishing of books, I think the the cream is rising to the top once again. And the books that are going to be released in 2021 and 2022 are the best of the best, you know. And so, but but what that means is the competition is is stiffer. Than it used to be and that's a good thing long term but it does mean again back to the previous question that those who aspire to write for publication really need to earn their chops they need to develop their skills and whether it's a writer's conference or online classes or whatever it might be critique groups that sort of thing like word weavers international i plug them every chance i get that's going to be even more necessary in the coming years because the market is still for Christian publishing of books is still healthy, but the competition is tighter than it used to be. And there will be, you'll probably hear in the coming months of this publisher or that publisher that have eliminated this line of books or are shifting their focus, you know, uh, but those sort of things happen before the pandemic and they'll continue to happen after it. Well, Bob, Bob, uh, Bob, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I was wondering if you had any kind of closing thoughts or any, anything else that's kind of on your heart that you uh, want to either say to our, our listeners, uh, potential writers, or just a, a word of encouragement overall um, to our listeners today. Yeah. Well, here's what comes to mind because, you know, you folks are, are sitting on a, a gold mine from a writer's perspective, you know, the work of the Salvation Army, that ministry that goes on day after day, uh, across the country and around the world, there's so much story, so much good in being done and and the ministry that's that's being accomplished is you know day after day month after month and year after year is largely an untold story and so what i would encourage to at least the salvationist listening to this podcast is start collecting those stories and writing those stories because I, I know from experience from my time on staff at National Publications that it's, it's hard to go find those stories unless somebody in the field is, is reporting them, is at least cultivating something of a writerly perspective on all the good that the Salvation Army is doing. And so I think Really, I would love to see God raise up a uh, new and huge army, literary army within the Salvation Army, because uh, those stories need to be told. And of course, the war cry and national publications are are a primary forum for that. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see, my encouragement would be to start writing those stories, to start telling the story of the Salvation Army. And, uh, you know, in today's media um, atmosphere, it's really crucial for the Army story and all that good work to not go unnoticed. Well, I'm going to give 
last, uh, the last question, the last word to our editorial director, Mr. Jeff McDonald, because um, Jeff, I know there's a lot of stories yet to be written about your life that Mr. Hostetler is going to eventually publish. So <laughs> here's your chance to defend yourself. <laughs> It'll be a small audience, unfortunately, but. Uh... <laughs> Oh, I don't know. With you know, with all the there's a lot there, man. Well, the Verona Diner. We could talk about the Verona Diner. Yeah, that stuff. Some of it's some of it's scandalous. Some of it's hilarious. It's some of it is. Yeah. (laughs) The the problem, though, is that you know, and this is an old saw that writers have used for a long time. But you know, the problem with nonfiction is, uh, uh, you know, that it has has to be believable you know <laughs> oh yeah that's true and and so much of your story just isn't yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably better off that way um but when you when you you know here you speak and you know about the christian market and reading and you know the competition and the media influence and people's shortest attention spans i haven't heard much talk about revival lately remember that was a big theme 20 years ago but that seems to have fallen by the wayside, you know? I know General Petal, when he came to office, he kind of was leery of the, you know, kind of warning the, on the forecast that, you know, the Christian message, Christianity in general, is not all that well received in parts of the world. Um, so I'm not sure how possible revival is, but wouldn't it be great? Oh, yeah. I think revival is always possible. But uh, what I said about Christian publishing, I think, is true of the church and by extension, the army as well, is that I think uh, the church is in a time of transition also. And, you know, the Salvation Army comes out of that great 19th century and early 20th century revivalist tradition, you know, of, of tent meetings and camp meetings and those sorts of things. And I don't necessarily think that just because of the way the culture has changed. I suspect that's not how revival comes in the 21st century. But I think, you know, because revival by its nature is a groundswell, I think that so much depends on on a join, look, seeing where the spirit is working and enlisting in that work. You know, and so as more and more people see the work of the spirit across this strange landscape that we have in the 21st century, I think revival is not only possible, I think it has to come. Um, But um, it's just a question of timing of when and through whom and through what. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, Bob, we really thank you for spending a few moments and we hope uh, uh, that you'll join us again. Uh, down the road. And and thank you on behalf of all of our readers uh, for what you're contributing to current issues of the war cry and and what you've done for the Salvation Army literary world in the past and what you've done for Christendom uh, with your work, obviously in the past with uh, Josh McDowell, what you're doing now as a literary agent. And uh, we hope that we uh, can continue to support you and we'll pray for you. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. It's been such a joy, as always. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. 
Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.